Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship family. What a time of worship. I didn't want to stop. I'm sure some of you felt the same way. Praise God. But we're going to stop. We're going to get into the word. And good news, we only have four chapters to cover. Two books, the book of Titus, which has three chapters, and Philemon, which is only one chapter long. But it has a lot of information for us. You know, we're, this year we're going through the entire Bible. We're almost done. And we're learning to be anchored in the word. Because would you say that these are turbulent times in our country? There's a lot of division. There's a lot of discord. And we need to stay anchored in the Lord. So quick facts about Titus. That's the first book. The author is Paul. It was written about 63 AD. I see some faces I haven't seen in a while. I'm so happy you guys are there. Praise God. Anyway, Paul's the author. It was written 63 AD. And the theme of the book is participate. Don't assimilate. And we'll get into what that means in a minute. Uh, There's a key verse, and we're going to cover the first one. There's two of them, Titus 1, verse 5, and Titus 3, verses 3 through 6. So let's look at the first one. It says, here's Paul writing to Titus. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So something was out of order. We know that. And he also had the assignment of helping the, to disciple those who were new believers and to appoint new leaders or elders. So let me tell you a little bit about Titus. Titus was a traveling companion to Paul. He accompanied him on many missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, he was with him when there was trouble. If you remember when we went through the book of Galatia, uh, um, Galatians and Corinthians, there were issues that came up. The Jews who became believers, were trying to force Gentiles, Greeks, or non-Jews, they were trying to force them to get circumcised and to follow the laws of the Torah in order to really be saved. And, of course, he was a troubleshooter, uh, Titus. He accompanied Paul to these places and set them straight on this issue. No, it's not necessary. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, not through the rituals and the customs and the Jewish laws. So as a trusted friend, he left, Paul left Titus in the island of Crete. And in the island of Crete, Paul had started several house churches in the island, very strategic places. And he left Titus with the work to grow those churches. But he didn't just say, okay, here you go, I'm leaving. 
He wrote him this letter, and he gave him clear instructions on what he was supposed to do. He wanted to first encourage him. He wanted him to set things straight. And and before we get into the specifics of that, this is a New Testament book. And all books of the Bible, we've really got to look at what's going on in the, the historical time period. So we have to look at the context of what was happening back then. What's the backdrop? And here, historically, we know that the island of Crete, the Cretans, they were worshipers of Olympian gods. They felt that man could be elevated to God. And they also felt that Crete, the island of Crete, was where many of the gods were born. So they had a lot of pride in their nation, the Cretans. And they also had a skewed vision of God, the almighty God, because when they got saved, they tried to integrate and assimilate some of these other ideas about the Greek gods. And one of the well-known gods that they worshipped was Zeus. Zeus was a womanizer. He seduced women. He was known, he was a character known for his being a liar, and yet they adored him. They modeled their life after him. And that's why a lot of people in the island were called um, liars, um, critio, and that's the Greek word for a liar. So Paul starts off his letter like this in Titus 1, verse 1 through 3. He said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at this appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our Savior. So Paul here is reminding Titus. He's reminding them that you got to keep to the message of the Messiah, the promise of eternal life, and let them know that this promise is assured that our God is not a liar. God does not lie. So, but the people, their ideas about their gods, especially Zeus, were tainting the church. And that's why Titus was there to set things straight. Because without exception, as goes the God, so goes the people. There's gods of the world, even in our own culture. People worship money. They worship success. They worship movie stars and musicians. Everything but God. And as goes the God, so goes the people. So Zeus was a liar, and he couldn't be trusted. But the second thing that uh, Paul wanted Timothy to set straight with the people was not only does our God not lie, our God is the God of gods. You know, they believed it was man elevated to become a god, little g. But he set them straight, and he, he said, our God is a a God who came from the heavens, the almighty God who emptied himself and became a man. 
And he is God in the flesh. So he dispels this idea of the Cretan God, of, of a man becoming God. He collides with their culture. And, and I want you to see something in, in verses 3 and 4, because it says something about God being our Savior and Christ being our Savior. Titus 2, uh, 1, verses 3 and 4, in which now at his appointed time and season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. God, you see, God is our Savior in that passage, and Jesus Christ is our Savior. What he was trying to make the point of the theology of God is knowing that God, Jesus, is God. Amen. So in Crete, in this sinful island, God was about to explode with his presence. Now I want to show a picture of a map of, of Crete. Now Crete was in a, a strategic location. If you look at that map, as far as trade and commerce and influence throughout the world, Crete in, influenced all those, not only in Africa and the Mideast, but you can see it extends right over to the to present-day Italy. So the culture that we would look down on, that they were the liars, they were violent, their cities were filled with sexual corruption, self-indulgence, their women, they, they shirked marriage and they were into promiscuous lifestyles. And this is what was happening in Crete. It sounds crazily similar to what's happening today, doesn't it, in our culture? As goes the God, so goes the people. And yet, if you look at Crete, these strategic harbors, they, they service cities all over the Mediterranean Sea, and Paul saw it as an opportunity. He saw it as an opportunity to bring God's grace to the world. And look at, look at a perfect place is Elizabeth, New Jersey. Think about it. We are in a strategic location. There's the airport, the seaport, the major highways all intersect through Elizabeth. We are in a major city, and yet we know there's crime. We know there's sin, and yet where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This is where God has the opportunity to reach into the darkness, and you have the opportunity to represent him in this dark world. From this letter, we learn that these churches that were started were becoming under a, a, a destructive influence by many who became Christians. The corrupt Jewish Cretans, again, they started this whole thing again. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the rules of the Torah. You have to follow the rules, our rules and our laws, over 600 of them. And they were corrupting the true word. And today I can't help but, again, make the comparison. There are many places that corrupt the true word of God. They mix the messages. 
There's the legalism side where you have to follow some laws and rules or else you're, you're exercised from the church. And yet there's some that are so free and so watered down and so uh, lack of conviction that they're corrupting the truth of the gospel. They're blending tradition, blending what's happening in the culture with the true worship. They're corrupting the worship of the true God. And, and the challenge of us as believers is that we have to realize that we're being transformed by Jesus. And we're representing him wherever we go. So as, you know, the culture might want to influence us, we have to remain a force as being anchored in the word and knowing the word of God and living the word of God and being a force to impact the culture rather than the, the culture impacting us. But who's your role model? Who do you look up to? Who do you listen to? What blogger do you listen to? What music do you listen to? What shows do you watch on television? You know, anchor, news anchor do you listen to? What politician do you support? All these things are the culture influencing you, not you influencing the culture. And so Paul goes on to instruct Titus. And he says, look for leaders. This is what I want you to look for. He has to be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe they're not open to charge of being wild or disobedient since an overseer manages God's household well. He must be blameless. Again, he says it, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. One, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So that was Paul's uh, task to Timothy. I want you to appoint leaders, new ones, mature husbands. And these are the qualifications again. They have to be known for their integrity, devoted to Jesus, self-controlled, generous with both their families and the community. And they had to be able to teach the truth. You can't teach the truth unless you know the truth. So these leaders had to be blameless. And Titus also had to confront, like I said, the Jewish Cretans that were in it for uh, prestige, and some of them were even in it for the money. Titus 1, 13 through 14 says this, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and will pay attention to Jewish myths. Will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. It's not just a bunch of rules that we follow. Amen? We follow the Lord, the one true God, the one of love and compassion and goodness and grace, the one who forgives us no matter what we've done. But some leaders blurred the lines back then. They blurred the lines, what good is and what evil is. What, and they were, worse of all, they were in it for the money. And these leaders claimed to know God, but by their actions, we clearly saw that they were just in it for positions of leadership selfish ambition, looking to tickle ears of those who were listening and 
afraid to defend by being firm on what God's word says, but that's not what he calls us to do here. The book of Titus reminds us to pay attention as we look to the Bible for our instruction. This wasn't meant just for the Cretans. It was, it was meant for us today. He wants us to look at the things that we should avoid and strive to imitate Christ, not the culture. Paul criticizes these self-appointed leaders when he says this in Titus 1.16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. And then, then he, in this letter, he focuses on the latter part of the letter in the last chapter on how we should act as good citizens. Listen to this in Titus 3, 1 and 2. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That is our instruction as well. All all people, all Christians, ideal Christians, should be ideal citizens. Amen. I always say, wherever I go, this is a prayer I say often. I want to represent you well today. Lord, let me represent you well. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. So throughout the letter, he believes that the gospel about Jesus has to prove the redemptive power of in the public square. In other words, we have to fully participate in the world. You know, years ago, decades ago, we cloistered ourselves and we remained inside the church and we didn't want to get involved out there. We didn't want to get involved in in public office, so to speak. Uh, And and because of that, we relinquished our influence in those areas. And, and Paul is telling us and reminding us, we have, to, we have to participate, not assimilate. We have to participate. And we rub off on them, not the culture rubbing off on us. And when our neighbors look at our lives, they see us as a, close, a closer look. They notice something's different. And that's an, our opportunity to share with them. And Paul says the only way to sustain this kind of counterculture in this world is through the power source of the Holy Spirit. God washed us, rebirthed us, renewed us. Here in Titus 3, 3 through 6, it says this, at one time, see, a lot of times we, we have spiritual amnesia. We forget where we came from, Right? You know, how clean we are now, and we don't show the same compassion and the same love that we should to those who don't know the Lord yet, rather than criticizing and shunning the people that are lost out there. We need to embrace them, okay, and participate. Don't assimilate. So let's look at what he says in uh, Titus 3. At one time, we too were fools, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Anybody say an amen to that? 
We were. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you represent Christ? We have to examine our lives. Do we live up to this? He saved us through the washing and the regeneration of the word through the Holy Spirit. It's a daily renewal. Every day, we need to reflect on the day and say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Oh, I spoke that word I shouldn't. You know, and we come clean before him every day, and he'll clean us and wash us. Regeneration means born again. And it's the spirit, the same spirit that was described in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel said this in verse 36, I will sprinkle new clean clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of a stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How do we do it? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. As we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's the Holy Spirit abiding in us that gives us the strength to be part of the counterculture. So, The letter to Titus shows us that we need to become agents of transformation in our communities, not assimilating to the way of life, not assimilating to the world's ways, but embracing what is good, embracing what is of God, and people seeing that reflected in our lives. You know, Paul had some firm words. He he said, this is how we are to act. Do not steal. Do not steal from them, but show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God or Savior attractive. So people will look at you when you're at work and everybody else is stealing from your boss and you're refusing to do it. They're going to notice something different about you because you live life by God's standards. You're doing life God's way. You also said this. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Don't give any person a reason to hate you. We are to model integrity in the ethic of the Bible. And we do that by staying anchored in his word. I'm going to flip a little faster. And let's see. So here, do you ever catch yourself saying that she'll never change? He's hopeless. Or this is an impossible situation. I'm not going to be able to handle this. You know, by looking at this book, we look at the Cretans, who were the worst example of lowliness. And we can say, God can make anything possible. He can transform them back in that day. 
He can transform many of us. He can transform you today. You're not stuck. You're not stuck in the conformity of the culture. You don't have to stay where you're at. You could change. I know there's a lot of gods that are tempting out there. I mentioned money, power. You know, there's the blending of philosophies and take a little bit of this religion and mix it in here and I'll take this philosophy and I'm happy with that. I'm going to feed myself on that. And you might feel safe doing that today. But there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand before God and he's going to ask you, why didn't you receive my son, my gift of eternal life, my forgiveness, my grace? And you're going to have to answer to him. And judgment is going to come. And whether you received him or not is going to be the question. You know, a smorgasbord of religions, that's what I call it. It might seem tasty now in this life. But this life isn't all there is. This is just a comma. When we die, we go on. As we receive Christ, the forgiveness brings us the gift of eternal life. As we reject him and we fall for the culture and the ways of the world, we will be subject to damnation for all eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know you don't hear about hell too often, but it's a reality. Will you allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to bring change in your life? That's what I'm asking you. Because in Romans 12, it says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. You see that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You get in the word. Get in the word. You read the word. You listen to the word. You participate in things like today and Wednesday nights and groups. Get in the word, anchored in his word. That's how your mind is transformed. And then the good news is says you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You won't wonder what life is all about or what direction you're going to go in. You won't be wandering aimlessly without a purpose. You're saved for a purpose. You're transformed for a purpose so that you can transform those around you through your influence. <clears throat> We don't need to retreat. So now we're going to jump into the next book. The next book is the book of Philemon. Again, this was written by Paul, only one chapter, and it was a personal letter to a friend. And the theme, if I were to think of it, would be radical forgiveness. Okay, so we're going to dive in, but a little background here. The story was um, Philemon was a slave owner. And back then, during this time period, slavery was much different than what we think of as American slavery. Slavery was widespread in ancient times. People ended up slaves for many reasons. Sometimes 
it was because they owed money and they had to be sold into slavery. Sometimes it was because they committed a crime and they were serving their time by becoming slaves. Other ha- slaves were household slaves. Others were prisoners, okay, because of their, the Roman wars. So there was a lot of slavery. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that a third to a quarter of the population at this time was slave, were slaves. That's 60 million slaves. And they were an important part of the, uh, the economic component in Rome, the Roman Empire. But it wasn't like they could buy themselves free from slavery. So here was a slave, Onesimus, and he was owned by Philemon. And he ran away. We don't know what he did, but he possibly stole from him. All we know is he ran, and he ran to Rome. And, you know, because uh, slavery wasn't based on color, he could blend in to this uh, new city as a, as a non-slave. But he came face to face with Paul. And Paul led him to the Lord, and he got miraculously saved. And here he was, he became a secondhand man to Paul while he was in prison. He helped him, and it... it was a quandary for Paul because he was actually obligated at this point to return Onesimus because at that time, a runaway slave, that was a crime. So he was supposed to return him and he had to suffer those consequences of either possibly being sold again, uh, being imprisoned, or worse, some of them were even killed. So it was a quandary. It was a difficult decision for Paul, and he had to send him back. So he starts this letter like this. In verse 6, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for Christ, the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So he starts off this letter before even telling him about this runaway slave, telling him the key word there is partnership. In the Greek, that word is koinonia. It's where the sharing of something mutual, okay? And two or more people that share something in common. And what he's saying is we're partners. We're all in this together. We're equal partners. He's recognizing He's, tr- he's trying to let Onesimus recognize that. So Paul believes, and we all believe, that the good news of Jesus Christ broke the dividing line. At that time, they were no longer slave and free and, you know, Scythian and whatever the divisions were of the different sects. They were all one in Christ, and it's the same Today, we are all one in Christ. We are in partnership with Christ. So Philemon, um, he writes this in in verse 8. I want you to show compassion in action, he says. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I'm sending Onesimus back. 
verse 12, he says, I'm sending him, him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have keep him with me, uh, that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. So here Paul puts himself right in the middle between the two. And he even says, I'll pay for it. If he owes you anything, if he stole anything from you, I'll pay for it. Sound familiar? Sound like our Lord Jesus Christ, who got in the middle between sinful man and God and bridged the gap? He makes a way. Paul says in verse 18, if he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Because Paul led him to the Lord. So Paul tells Onesimus to carry the letter. Can you imagine? He's go- that tells you a lot about Onesimus, his conviction and trust in the Lord. He's going to go and bring the letter to his former slave who may very well imprison or even possibly kill him. And he knows that through God's love and grace, he's going to bring forgiveness. That's confidence. That's moving in confidence. And it's a big ask. It's a big ask of Paul to ask Philemon to give up his role as a master. And that division was so powerful back then. But we have to learn from this that people are not stepping stones to um, achieve our ambitions. We have to treat people as equal partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in summary, because I know we're getting late here, in both these books, we saw in the book of Titus, Jesus can be like a wrecking ball. He can demolish strongholds. He can demolish the worldly religions. He can demolish divisions between people, between race. The barriers, the dynamic dynamite force of Jesus Christ and his grace can be like a wrecking ball going against a wall. He could tear it down. He can scatter the bricks and they can become like splinters, right? God's love, the gospel message, forgiveness can demolish barriers and bring about reconciliation in this world. And do we need that today? Today, primarily, there's lines of division. There's cultural division. There's political division. There's racial division. There's socioeconomical division. There's so much division in the world today. And some of them have been here for a long time. And and some of them are relatively new. If we think about over the last few years, there's been a lot of dividing lines. Think about it. Whether you're view is on a particular viewpoint or a political slant or your beliefs or your medical choices or the school you attend or even what holiday you celebrate. So many divisions. And we played into Satan's hand in a way because he loves to divide. He loves to build buildings. He loves to cause the body of Christ to be compartmentalized against each other, but we're all one. We're all partners. That's what Paul is telling us here. 
Jesus loves to tear down these walls. He came to redeem all people, to, re- to create a new humanity, a partnership where we can be transformed and we can transform the world. In this New Testament, in the New Testament, these two books, especially Philemon, there's never been something as clear distinction between law and grace. We see Roman law and Mosaic law of the Old Testament gave Philemon the right to punish his slave, right? He was his property. But the covenant of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ allowed the master and the slave to fellowship because of the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Onesimus' story is a beautiful picture of of a person who tries to run away from God, tries to run away from a good master. And the gracious master is there. He runs right into his arms right into his arms and receives salvation. He's not a fugitive. He finds forgiveness and freedom. And I want to ask you, I know many of you here, I know a lot of you here, but there's many who may be running from God. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're not so anchored. Maybe you have allowed the culture to rub off on you rather than you rubbing off on the culture. Maybe you've allowed those things that tainted like the Cretan church, those compromises. Maybe you've allowed them to happen and we're not preaching the true gospel and we're not representing Christ well anymore. Maybe that's you. But the stubborn, nagging love of the Holy Spirit will not let you go. He won't let you go. He could bring forgiveness and restoration for a purpose. <clears throat> Perhaps like Titus, you might be confronted with a tough task. He had to confront those people. It's never easy to confront people, right? When they're doing something wrong, to set them straight. But God, the Holy Spirit, can guide you and empower you to do that as well. Grace trains us that we can participate and not assimilate. But we have to be willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that starts with acceptance in Jesus Christ. I want every head bowed, and I want everybody listening. I want you to know, I want to know if you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and perhaps you've never done this. You've never said yes to him. I want to follow your ways, not the ways of the culture. I want to do it your way. Could you just stand up? Just stand up where you're at. Okay. Okay, praise God. No more compromise in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to be empowered with your faithfulness. I want to represent you well, God. I want to be a transformer in the world. I want to transform others the way you transformed me. And maybe some of you others, maybe others here, you need to forgive. I mean, Onesimus had a tough task. He was told to forgive his runaway slave. I mean, Philemon. Philemon had a tough task. He was to forgive Onesimus. He didn't deserve it. He stole from him. He did him wrong. He didn't deserve to be forgiven. And yet, because of God's goodness and mercy and grace, 
He was able to do it because by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here like that? You want to you want just stand up if you can. If not, just stay where you're at and raise your hand. Praise God. You're able to do it today, my friend. You're able to do that. You're able to forgive. You can do it through the Holy Spirit working in you. Those of you who stood up, would you mind just walking forward? I want to pray with you at the end of the service. Just come forward. Come forward. Don't be ashamed. Jesus hung on the cross naked. He wasn't ashamed at all. Come on. And if you didn't raise your hand, you feel that that in your heart, that stirring in your heart, that you want to get right with him, that you want to commit your life to him, then you come up to. Matthew 5, I want to say this to those who stood and all of you. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you. People, people do not light. I'm sorry. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Hallelujah. That's what you are. Think of yourself as a light. Hallelujah. I want to pray with you. And I pray, uh, I'll excuse the rest of you later. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for every heart that was stirred today, Lord God, who realized, Lord God, that they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you will enable them to do what wasn't able to be done before, Lord God, to forgive, Lord, to uh, reject what the culture is telling them to do. And Lord, representing you well in their lives, at work, in their families. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing because it says in your word that you who are, you're faithful to complete every work that you've begun in these precious souls here today. Lord God, I I thank you and I praise you for everyone in this congregation, Lord God, that we would be um, lights, that we would be transformers, that we would take the message to this lost and dying world. And Lord, not see the world and try to shun from it or cloister from it, but Lord, that we would see those in the world that are hurt and hopeless and feeling worthless, Lord God, that they will give them the good news. This is great news. Jesus loves us and forgives us and has a tremendous plan for each and every one of you. God bless you and have a great day. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.